As I've been studying John, one of the one of the commentaries I've been using is from a man named James Montgomery Boyce, who uh, is, I think, gone home to be with the Lord now. But he was telling a story as I was studying uh, John 12. Uh, he's a guy that preached in a lot of pulpits. He was kind of a known... Hey, Helen. He was a, a preacher that is kind of known and kind of made his rounds. And he said he preached in many different pulpits. Uh, he preached in pulpits in, in hot non-air-conditioned churches with little fans and, or little heaters right next to the pulpit for the minister. He preached in rickety pulpits that were about to fall over in very grand and lofty, ornate pulpits. Uh, he preached in a pulpit that had a red light here, and they told him, when that red light turns on, you have two minutes, <laughs> and you better wrap it up. <laughs> um, but he said one pulpit stuck with him throughout his whole ministry, and it had the words engraved here on this side of the pulpit, Sir we would see Jesus. And that was the word of those Gentiles that came to Christ from the King James Version. That was a question they asked. Sir, we would see Jesus. And that text is there as a reminder to any man that would step into that pulpit that every person in that pew is there for that very purpose, to see Christ. And I was touched by that story that I plastered that across the pulpit for myself or any man that might stand in this pulpit as a reminder every week that you're here to see Him. Amen? That's why we're all here, is to see Jesus. And as we consider Christ in the Scriptures, we see Jesus from a lot of different angles. You know, definitely we see Him as the Christ, right? as the Messiah, the Anointed One, the, the Redeemer that has come to save a fallen, rescue really, a fallen humanity. Uh, we see Him as Lord, right? He is the Lord, Lord of Lords. He reigns sovereignly over all things. He has all authority in earth and in heaven. He is, of course, a King, he is an eternal king that will sit eternally on the throne of David. He is a ruler who rules with a, a rod, a scepter of iron. He is the righteous one. He is the creator. All these titles that we give to Christ. And all of those are very lofty, full of deity. But today we're going to look at Jesus from a whole different perspective as we will see today the servant Savior. The servant Savior. We're going to see in our text this morning Jesus stoop to one of the lowest of positions in society in his day as, a, as an example and, a, and as a way to teach his disciples and as a way today to teach us what it means to serve those around us. Uh, so our text this morning begins in John 13, verse 1. I'm going to read the whole passage. Uh, John 13, 1. This is the word of the Lord. Now before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. <coughs> Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, 
not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to be washed except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why, that was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives me, excuse me, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we do come before you. <laughs> oh, in the name of Jesus. And we have come because we want to see Jesus. It is our desire, Lord God, to behold you with our eyes. We know that one day we will do just that. But today we desire to behold you in your word. We pray by the Spirit of God, that Christ might be revealed today more and more, that our hearts, our affections would be drawn to Christ. Um, and we just, I pray that that would happen. I pray that you would give me a spirit of compassion and yet boldness. Lord God, would any error that comes out of my mouth fall upon deaf, deaf ears. Pray that your word would have its way in our hearts. Work as you, as you sovereignly do today, uh, as you sovereignly desire to do today. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I just say briefly, um, as I look at the clock, our, our, our song selection has recently shrunk over the past number of while, and we expanded it a bit today. Um, and what that means is that I'm getting going a little bit later than usual. So hopefully you had a, a, a good breakfast this morning, um, <laughs> because I really want to bring this word and not chop it up into pieces. So asking for a little grace there. All right, well, um, have you ever looked upon a job, some job, maybe many jobs, and thought to yourself, I would never be caught dead doing that thing? Maybe it was a disgusting job. Maybe it was a humiliating job. Maybe you just said, man, that's just, that's just beneath me. I just, I, the money is not worth it. I would never do that sort of thing. I think at times we might have, maybe we don't even verbalize, but we kind of have unspoken categories or classes in our, in our mind, like, that's, 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 not, that's not for me. I don't, I, don't, I don't do that. Some people can. It's good for them, but I would, I would not desire to do that. But Jesus comes here in our text, and he loves to just kind of flip things, cultural things on their head, does he not? Uh, I mean, he flips tables, literally. But think about the Pharisees. You know, we look back and we say, yeah, those were self-righteous, you know, self-assured men. But in their day, they were the holy men of the day. They really, these guys were devoted their lives to the word, to God. I mean, they fast publicly and give and appear on the outside to be so holy. 
And Jesus came and he just flipped that thing on his head, right? These guys are actually lost. They need Christ. They need the word. They need the true God. They're finding assurance in themselves. And today he takes kind of this lowly, looked down upon job. And the Lord of heaven and earth becomes a servant. Now, foot washing was no new thing in the day of Christ. Um, it was actually pretty standard fare. You could imagine living in the Middle East. It's very hot. It's very dirty. There's no paved roads. And all you're wearing is sandals, right? There's no Nikes going on back then. And you would imagine that feet would be fairly unpleasant, to say the least, right? And it would be standard fare that if there was going to be some sort of um, celebrate, any sort of dinner or what have you, the, the host would provide a servant. And that servant was there. And one of his main duties was to wash the feet of all the people that came in. And not only that, but if you consider how they ate, they ate on the ground with a low table reclined on a pillow. And your feet might be kind of protruding over by your friend's place of eating and all the more reason that the feet would need to be washed. But this room is a little bit different. Um, in any room, usually there would be a wash basin by the door with water and towels for washing feet. This room was different because it was borrowed. There's no one hosting this event. They've used this room to go observe the Passover. So there's no servant there to wash feet. There's no one there. It's just Jesus and his disciples. Now, I'm going to speculate. I'm going to go way outside of Scripture right now, so, so <laughs> I'm just going to say that. But I can kind of imagine them all walking in the room, right? And they see that wash basin for feet washing, and they say, uh-uh, not me. I'm not, I, no, I'm, I'm good with that. Someone else can, can do that. And they all kind of avoid that bucket, and they go sit down, everyone with their dirty feet. And Jesus himself takes up the towel, girds his loin, wraps the the towel around his waist, and he begins to serve his closest of friends. As we consider this passage today, we're going to look at it under two main headings. Um, first, the example of servanthood from Christ, and then the fruit of servanthood in our lives. So firstly, the example of servanthood. The first thing I want to draw our attention to, and I'm not going to go straight through this passage, a lot of scripture here. We're going to kind of skip around, and uh, I think you'll be able to follow along, though. I want to show, firstly, that he stooped to the bottom. This is Christ himself, but he takes the lowest of positions. He takes this, this in, the, in that day, menial task of feet washing. Again, if you would look at verse 4 of John 13. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Can we just for a moment like soak this in of what's actually happening here? Consider the scene. This is Jesus grabbing a towel. This is Jesus stepping up as a servant. I know I don't need to remind you of John 1, but I'm, I'm going to. In the beginning was the Word. Who is the Word? Jesus, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? So we have here... God himself, yes, he's in the flesh, yes, he is incarnate, but this is God, the eternal Son of God, who has always dwelt in heaven, being worshipped by angels. This is Jesus Christ. I mean, it's as if, and I say this with all reverence to, to Christ, but it's as if we, you walked into a local Costco, went into the bathroom, and Jesus walks out of the stall cleaning the bathroom, right? That's kind of the picture that's here. He takes a job that we might think of as a servant type position and he takes up this towel and he and he serves his friends 
when, if you open up a systematic theology, you know, one of these books that kind of takes all the great doctrines of the faith and, and summarizes them, when you get to the work of Christ, sometimes there's two categories, his humiliation and his exaltation. And in his humiliation, I think sometimes we view that too narrowly. We think only of the cross, only that he was there, that he suffered and anguish and died. That was his humiliation. But his humiliation begins the moment he steps off of that heavenly throne. The moment he gives up all the rights that he had, not that they were taken from him, but he willingly lays aside those privileges. He who had all riches became poor so that in his poverty, you and I might become rich. And when Jesus takes on flesh, he takes on weakness, right? He takes on a body that bleeds, that sweats, that hungers, that needs sleep. He takes on this frail body that is perishing, that will not last forever, that cuts, that has to eat. The infinite becomes finite. He never knew any sort of finite attributes, what it means to not be omnipotent until he took on this body. Not only that, but he was born in an animal's pen. This is a place not even suitable for people to live, let alone childbirth to take place. But Jesus is born in an animal's pen. He is born to a family of peasants, just a common standard. There's no pomp, posterity. There's no royalty. He's treated like a fool. He's mocked and rejected by the religious establishment of his day, and he has no place to lay his head. This is all an aspect of the humiliation of Jesus. And then here, he stoops down to one of the culturally most menial and lowliest of positions. He washes the feet of his friends. Again, I said earlier that if you were to come to a dinner, there would be a man at the door with a bucket. And as soon as you saw that man, you would know that he's not a guest. He doesn't have the rights that the guests have. He will not sit at the table. He will not have table fellowship with those that have been invited. But he is there to serve the people that are in the room. He is there to wash feet, to probably give food. And this is the example that Jesus wants to teach us of what it means when we serve in his name, when we serve those around us. Look at verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than he who sent him, the one who sent him. So he says, I've done this to give you an example that you ought to do what I have done. Now, some of you may disagree with me here and I know that some other traditions or denominations do agree with me. I personally don't believe that the example is that we are to wash one another's feet, that that command continues on. It was a, it was a relevant, necessary thing in his day that, was, that took place every day. And it was one of the lower jobs where he could communicate, look, this is, you do anything, anything in service. So I don't personally think, not that there's anything wrong with it, but I don't think the command is that we should be washing each other's feet. Some churches believe that is a perpetual command. But I think the example is that he's teaching us something. So a couple things. What can we learn firstly? 
as Jesus stoops so low and he shows us what it really means to serve, that the Lord of glory would wrap a towel around his waist and wash the stinky feet of his men. I think firstly we learn just simply that no one is too good for a given job. And no one is too good. There's nothing that's beneath us. Right? Sometimes we might have this mindset that I'm, I'm just not, I, I'm not doing that. You know, I, I, would, never, I would never do that. Uh, in our country, in America, we've, we've come a long way, right, in some areas. Praise be to God that the, the sin of slavery and, and all of that has been largely dealt with. And we recognize now that all human beings are, are, have dignity and value. Um, we also have come a long way in our, in our regards to women, right? Women were not unable, unable to vote, didn't have kind of the same status as citizens. And we've, we've come a long way. But maybe there's still some of that stuff left in us. And, and maybe man, I'm going to prod at you a little bit today. You know, maybe there's some stuff in the home where we might still say, I'm not doing that. That's, that's, that's woman's work, right? I'm not, I don't do dishes. I don't do laundry. I don't do this or that. No, nothing wrong with husband having the stuff he does, woman having the stuff she does in the home. Nothing wrong with that. But I think Jesus' point is that if there is a need, roll up your sleeves and, and get your hands dirty, right? If there's an opportunity to serve, we don't stand back and say, that's a menial task. That's beneath me. That's their job. I'm, I'm not touching that sort of thing. But his example as their Lord and as their teacher is to take the lowest job on the totem pole and to do it with compassion and love. Secondly, I think we can learn from his example that the love that we have for one another, the love that we have for one another is distray, is, is let me say this, <laughs> the love we have for one another is displayed in the strongest way when we do things that we don't want to do for one another. Right? I can show my love, my, my love for my wife in the strongest of ways when I do the things that I don't necessarily want to do for her, the things I don't like. I don't really believe that Jesus really loved feet washing and wasn't like a thing that he enjoyed. I, maybe he did, I, I don't think so. But he's doing it as an example. He's showing us what it means to love sacrificially. So our love for one another is displayed strongest, the strongest, when we do the things for those around us that we don't want to do. Things that are inconvenient, things that put us out, things that are difficult, annoying, are a hassle. Maybe they're things we're just not fond of. Um, I've shared this story probably multiple times, so if you've heard it, uh, I ask for your forgiveness. But I was a, a young Christian, probably six months or so, following the Lord trying to figure out what it means to be a godly husband, probably failing miserably. And I'm talking to my pastor, and he was, he was discipling me. I didn't even know it. You know, it's one of these small things that, that has just stuck with me for years. Um, and he was just kind of teaching me as we went along what it meant to be a man of God. And I was talking about my relationship with Erica. I don't even know what the conversation was. But he told me a story, and he was a busy guy. He pastored a church probably about this size, and he worked for the denomination that we were part of. Um, and he had three kids in high school that were all in sports. So it was like a go, go, go. And he had been on for about two weeks straight, didn't have a day off, no rest. And there was a Saturday coming and he was going to have the afternoon off. He's going to have the house to himself and he was going to get some rest. And he was a football fan, but he was a pastor. So he'd record the game. And whenever he got around to it, he'd try to watch it. So he's going to sit down. He was going to watch his Vikings, right? And his wife and his daughter were going to go to watch their cousin, do like long jump or something in L.A. We were in Orange County. And his wife was kind of uncertain about the directions. You know, it was a little bit tricky. 
and um, she was not really confident, and he was trying to give her the map, and she just finally said, can you just come with us? And he said, yeah. And I went, what? That's not right. Because let me just be honest, I'm selfish, and hopefully, Lord willing, I was more selfish then than I am now. But I was, in my mind, I was like, that's selfish of her. He earned it. He was off for two weeks. He was going to sit down and rest. He was tired. Like, she could figure it out. She's been driving her whole life. And I look back, and I've looked at that story time and time and time again, and he was teaching me a simple truth that love sacrifices. Love does the things that it doesn't want to do. And as he shows us what it means to serve, it means to do things that we're not really sometimes enjoying. Not the first things that we would do, but our love is showed for others in a stronger sense when we do those things that are inconvenient, that are a hassle, that that take away from our time, that are maybe inconvenient for us. So Jesus stoops down as he gives us this example of servanthood. But there's even more going on here. Secondly, I want us to see that he washes the feet of his enemy. He washes the feet of his enemy. Look at verse 11. It says, For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place. So he is known all along. We read way back towards the beginning of John that he knew from the beginning who it was that would believe. And he knows here, and it just says that he washed their feet. It doesn't say that he did, had an exemption for Judas, that he just kind of skipped by him. Certainly, from the outset, it's staggering that Jesus is washing any man's feet. I mean, I think we can kind of sympathize with Peter, right, when he says, Lord, you, you can't wash my feet. I mean, we might feel the same thing. Jesus, there's no way. Who, who am I that you would wash my feet? So we understand how crazy that is that he would do that. But now we see that he washes the feet of the very man who is about to stab him in the back. This brings his example of servanthood, I think, to a new height, or maybe for Jesus, to a new depth. Imagine knowing who, who your betrayer was. Imagine spending three years with a guy. You have an intimate relationship with him. He ministers alongside of you. He's one of your closest friends. And here he is. Here he is about to hand you over for 30 pieces of silver. He's going to betray you with a kiss and send you over to the authorities that are ultimately going to take you to your execution. But what does he do? What is his example for us with his enemy? He stoops down. And he serves the very man who is about in hours to hand him over to the authorities and stab him in the back. What can we learn from this example? Um, I want to I see here there's two sides of this. So he loves his enemy by serving him, right? That's obvious. He loves Judas as he serves him, but he also does not hide from the truth. He does not hide from the truth. He loves him knowing he's his enemy, but he does not shy away from the truth. And I think it needs to be both. It's not just a one-sided thing. Look at verse 18. In John 13, he says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. So he washes the feet of Judas. He doesn't skip past him or skip over him. 
but he also does not shy away from the truth. He makes this statement publicly in front of everyone that one of you is about to go and betray me. No one else knows what's going on, but Judas certainly knows. If you saw in verse 2, said during supper when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas to betray him. So this plan is already beginning. This plot is already beginning to unravel. Jesus loves this man who is an enemy of God, serves him, does not treat him differently than the rest of the apostles, but he also does not shy away from bringing that hard truth. And I think we can do both. We can do both in service to those who oppose us, oppose God. We can love our neighbor with sacrificial acts. We can give of ourselves. We can give of our time. We can give of our resources. But we can also warn them and bring the truth when it's needed. seems that too often it's, it's either one or the other. We, we tend to fall in either ditch. On one side, we just want to love people. And we just want to be friendly and we just want to be nice, knowing they oppose our faith, knowing they oppose the Lord, knowing they're headed to destruction, knowing that they're lost. But we don't really want to go there. We don't want to make things awkward or uncomfortable. So we just want to be friendly and nice and loving and never talk about any of those hard things. Or we fall into the other ditch where we just see them as pagans. Maybe we'll give them the gospel. Maybe we'll call them to repent. Maybe we'll give them a tract. But I dare not get near them because they might, they might rub off on me. right? They might, they might try to bring me over to the dark side. But it needs to be both. Jesus shows us that it can be both. We love our enemies through service, but we also love them through being willing to say the truth, to say the hard thing, to speak the truth. So he's shown us this example of, of feet washing. And I think it's an excellent example of what it means to serve, that the that the Son of Man, the Son of God, would stoop off of a heavenly throne, become a man, and then even on this earth would take the lowliest of positions to give us this example. There's far more going on as far as servanthood in the ministry of Jesus. This is really just a small aspect. His whole ministry, his whole mission was, was to come and to serve. It was about others. And I want to draw this out a bit in Mark chapter 10. So if you would turn there, maybe keep your spot in John 13. Mark 10.35, kind of a parallel text as far as service. I love to hear those Bibles. There's pew Bibles we have out. They're maroon, burgundy-ish. If you don't have a Bible, they're in the chairs around you. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. I'm going to read this section of Scripture here. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one on the right hand and one on your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the 10, the rest of the disciples heard it, They began to be indignant at James and John, and Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know those 
You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall be it'll, it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first you among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We see, of course, the ultimate act of service as Jesus goes to the cross for his people. Firstly, I want to point out that he drank the cup. He spoke of this cup that he was going to drink in verse 38. It says he drank the cup. So turn, if you would, just to Mark 14, a couple pages. What is this cup that he speaks of? What is this thing that he's going to drink? Mark 14, 36. And this is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's hours before the cross. He's praying to his Father, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. The cup that he is about to drink is his suffering. It is his anguish. It is the shame. It is his death. And it is the wrath of his Father poured out upon sin. We see this this concept of the cup of his wrath in a number of different places. Let me read one to you. Thus, the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. That was Jeremiah 25, 15. So Jesus comes and he drinks the cup of his suffering, his death, and the wrath of his father poured out upon sin. As he shows us what it means to serve, he comes and drinks the judgment that our sin had incurred. It was rightfully ours. Of course, Jesus is innocent as he goes to the cross, but he he stands there as a substitute. Secondly, he paid the ransom. He paid the ransom. Let me read to you verse 45 again from John, or excuse me, Mark 10. Mark 10, 45. It said, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And how does he, how does he do that ultimately? What is the epitome, the height of his service? He came to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus paid the ransom. Listen to this from Isaiah 53. It says, yet it was the will of of the Lord to crush him. It was the will of his father to crush him. Never think that the cross was an accident, was was a failure. This was a purpose all along. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. So the soul of Christ, the life of Christ was an offering for guilt. But whose guilt? Ours, not his, right? Certainly not his. His soul made an offering for guilt. He paid the ransom, the debt that our sin had incurred, that payment that we were due to God the Father that we could never pay, that we could never satisfy. Jesus, by the giving of himself, paid the ransom in our place. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love. Not that we have loved, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus Christ was the sacrifice that satisfied God's demand for justice. He paid the ransom for our sin. And lastly, He gave His life. 
Again, verse 45 of Mark 10. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He says, of course, in that John 10, the Good Shepherd discourse, John 10 and verse 11, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What is Jesus' ultimate act of service? His service to the sheep is when he comes and willingly lays down his life on our behalf. This is, the, this is a small sampling of biblical servanthood, of what Jesus came and did to serve his people, to serve the church, to serve all that would believe in him. Ultimately, he does so by the giving of his own life. And in our text this morning in John 13, our Lord and our teacher says, I have done these things and you should do them as well. So that's his example for us of what it means to be a servant, ultimately to give your life for your friends. No greater love is this, that a man would give his life for his friends. And then I want to look at the fruit, and we won't spend nearly as much time here, but the fruit of servanthood, just two things. Servanthood is the key to humility, and it is a key to happiness. Serving others is the key to humility and the key to happiness. I think everyone in this room knows this, maybe to different degrees for person to person. Something happens here in our heart when we kind of stoop down lower into a lower position and serve someone, maybe in a way that we would never do, help someone that, that we would not normally help, give to something that we would not normally give. It seems that it does a work of, hum, of humility in our hearts. A number of months back, I can't remember how long it's been now, but we had an opportunity to serve at the Medford Gospel Mission. And some of you came and served there. And uh, they have a restaurant that they open six or maybe seven nights a week. And they feed whoever wants to come in. Homeless, people with homes, but just neat, broke, whatever. Um, any, that, any that come, they feed. And there's just something humbling about seeing a guy that you may very well have drove past the previous day as you left Fred Meyer loaded down with groceries, full tank of gas, drove in your car, and there he was on the side of the road asking for money. And now you're in a position where you're filling up his water, filling up his coffee, bringing him his dessert, taking his order, bringing him his food. There's just something that God does in our hearts to kind of right things, our position, our status, our understanding of who I am and who he is. I think when we serve in this way, it does a couple things. Firstly, I think it begins to kind of chip away at this high view we can sometimes have of ourselves. You know, sometimes we might think that we're pretty, pretty special, pretty good, like we got it, we got it going on, and maybe sometimes we need to be knocked down a peg or two. Right? That's what humility is, right? Not thinking too highly of ourselves, not esteeming our own needs, our own desires, our own stuff too high. So when we stoop down as Jesus does, does and serve in a way that we may not appreciate, may not like, it has a way it chipping away at that high view we have of self. But I think the other thing it does is it also chips away the false perception that we have of other people. You know, sometimes we, we, we drive by and we see a person or we meet a person and, and maybe you're not as critical as I am, but we just kind of cast judgments in our mind. Just, it's just natural, you know, by the way they're dressed, the way they talk. Oh, they're, they're on this. They've done this. They've been here. 
they're doing whatever. You know, there's just stuff that comes into our mind when we see a person. It, it just happens, you know. And the sad reality is, is if a group of people come in here and they're all wearing suits and dress really nice and carrying themselves well, and then another group comes in that is not dressed very nice at all and hasn't showered in a while, we're probably going to treat them a bit different. I wish that wasn't the case, but it happens. It's, it's human nature at times. But when we humble ourselves and get down and serve in ways that we might not really always appreciate, it has a way of showing us that human beings are all pretty much the same. Right? We have different issues, different struggles, different sin, but that we're not all that different one from another. So to serve, to serve in the way that Jesus models for us is really the key to humility. It's, it, it will knock down pride. It will shatter that little ego that we might have. And then secondly, I think that servanthood is the key to happiness. It is, really is the key to being happy. Look at John, if you, if you would turn back there to John 13. He says, truly, truly, and every time he says that, it's listen up, listen to my words. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You see that distinction he makes. If you know these things, the blessing comes when you do them. He's making a distinction from our orthodoxy that we have right understanding, right knowledge in our orthopraxy, that we have right practice. This is not a theology lesson that we're just supposed to have knowledge and believe something. This is a practical theology lesson that we would follow in obedience and do. Right? The blessing doesn't come from knowing that service to others is good and right. The blessing comes, he says, when you do these things, when you step into this role and serve others. Consider the, the, the other side of a person that wants to serve. Consider the person that is greedy, that is selfish, that always wants for themselves, that always wants more, that is never satisfied, that never wants to share, just is about personal gain. I ask you, is that happiness? Is there joy in your heart when your whole life is about, is about me? Is that happiness? It's not, right? It's just, it's just feeding the flesh and feeding self and constantly wanting more and more. I'm sure we all struggle with selfishness in, in little areas, right? I mean, we're all human. We all sin. Uh, for one person, they might be very happy and willing to open up their home, to give, uh, to, to feed and to, and to have friends over and to welcome them in. But they might say at the same time, but don't be touching my, my money, right? Don't be asking me for money. You can come into my house. I'll feed you. I'll love on you. But don't go there when it comes to finances. That's, that's, that's mine. Or maybe another person might be very happy to write a check, give of their resources, but they would say, don't touch my time because it's valuable, right? And it's mine. So we all struggle, I think, with selfishness in little areas. But when God gives us that grace to let go, when God gives us that grace to recognize that, Lord, all I have is yours. All I have has been freely given to me. So all that I have, I freely give to you. When we're able to let go of those things that we clench and we hold close that we don't want to let go of in service to others, maybe it's money, maybe it's our time, wherever it might be. But as the Bible says, and I'm paraphrasing myself here, it's more blessed to let go than it is to hang on. It's more blessed to give than it is to clutch and hold things 
closely. But when we serve, when we give of ourselves, give of our time in this fashion and model that Jesus has shown, I think that's the key to real happiness. And maybe you've heard this acrostic. I'm not going to spend time on it, but it's, I think it's helpful. And it's the word joy. You know, how do you have joy, Jesus, others, yourself? It's kind of that model that Christ is first. Consider those around you, and then it's time to you know, focus. I think it's a good model that we might live by. So Jesus sets this standard, what it means to serve. And it's, the bar is high, right? The bar is very high. He takes the lowest of job. He loves and he serves his enemy. He drinks the cup. He pays the ransom and he gives his life. But the fruit of this servanthood, the fruit of this radical servanthood for us, it's not begrudging service. It's a life of blessedness. It is, it is the key to true happiness when we think outside of ourselves and what others need. And as I close, I want to close with a question. As you may be reading this text and saying, man, you missed one of the main points of the whole section. And I did. And I I did it intentionally because we would have been here for another hour. But there's a question I want to leave you with. And let me read the, the verse, John 13, 8. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. The question is, have you been washed by Christ? Have you been cleansed? By Jesus, because all of this servant stuff, all of this service and serving and good works, it's all irrelevant if we have not first been washed by Christ. If you were having a dinner party and you wanted to really ritz the place up and you wanted it to look nice and you're having all the guests, you got the fine china, but you only have one set of fine linen and you realize that it's over there in a bucket, it's soiled, it's funky, it's getting mildewy, it's really nasty, but it's... It's Egyptian cotton or it's silk. They're not going to mind. I got to put out the fine linen, right? And you took out that fine linen and you put it out. It's not working, right? No one's going to want to eat. They're not even going to want to sit at the table. doesn't matter how fancy that linen is. It's soiled and stained and polluted and it needs to be cleansed. And our good works, our service, the Bible says, are like filthy rags apart from Christ. Why is that? Because they're polluted, right? They're stained. They need to first be washed. We need to first be washed before we are of service to our Lord. So I ask you, and I close with that question, have you been washed? Have you turned from your sin? Have you repented? That's what the Bible calls it, just turning from our old life, turning from our sin, and turning to Jesus Christ in faith and believing that He is the only way to salvation. Because the Bible says that when we do that, as Jesus said in this text, you will be clean and you will be clean forever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for you sending your son, Lord Jesus. We thank you for the sacrifice that you made on our behalf. We thank you that you show us really what it means to serve, that you have a way of humbling us by revealing to us uh, pride sometimes in our heart, um, a lack of desire to really get dirty um, and love folks that maybe we have a difficult time loving. And we thank you first and foremost and ultimately that, that you drank that cup of the wrath that was ours, that you paid the ransom that we could never pay and that you gave your life in our place. And I pray that that truth, that truth would grow in us a great depth of gratitude and that gratitude would leave a, lead us to a life of service to King Jesus and service to those around us 
Compel us, Lord. Motivate us. Give us great love for you and for our neighbor. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.